Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org. And now a message from The Rock of Gainesville. I want to talk to you this morning about the cross and the grave. Obviously, it's resurrection weekend. And uh, as I've been meditating, reading a lot of books, matter of fact, I want to recommend a book uh, that uh, Billy Graham's ministry, uh, Franklin Graham, sent to me a couple of weeks ago. It's called, I don't remember what it's called. But it is a great book. It's the last book out by Billy Graham. And I meant to bring it because I knew I'd forget the title. But it was something like uh, what, what happened at the cross. And it's a powerful in the way that only Billy Graham can preach. You can hear Billy Graham. As you're reading it, you can hear Billy Graham's voice. And, and it's simple, incredibly simple. But it so stirred me, encouraged me, that book and others that I've read over the last several weeks, just being reminded again of the price that was paid for my salvation and for my healing and my, for, and my deliverance and my restored, reconciled family and the, and the victories that God has brought in our lives. All of that goes back to the cross. And what Jesus accomplished. So this morning, I want to read to you a very familiar passage of Scripture. Start out, John 3, 16 and 17. It says, for God, read, say it out loud with me if you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen. So I want to take us on a little journey today from literally the night before Jesus is arrested. In Matthew chapter 26, matter of fact, I'm going to give you that as a reference for the, for the whole morning, chapter 26, 27, and 28. And I would encourage you, especially you families with small children, before you go to bed tonight, take time to sit down and read Matthew 26 through 28 to your children. Read it out loud. It's so powerful. I've read it over and over and over the last week and a half, two weeks, and just been so encouraged by, as I was reading through it, I, I began to see this journey that Jesus was on. His disciples, hear me, didn't have a clue. I mean, they did not have a clue. They were walking with him, fellowship with him, eating at the picnic table every night with him, and every time he would talk about what was about to take place, it went over their heads. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. He kept trying to tell them it's, it's imperative that the Son of God and the Son of Man be persecuted, be beaten, killed, but on the third day will rise again. And they were not getting it. And as I followed along in this story, Matthew 26, 27, and 28, you see Jesus going through several events, and I want to just walk us through those this morning. I'm not going to read a whole lot of this. I'm going to let you read it later. But uh, I want to invite you to, 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 in your mind, just take this journey. Think about, position yourself, forget about who's sitting beside you, and think about if you were one of the disciples, you're, you're walking with Christ, you're in this place, and you're wondering what it is that's going to happen. So I want to start in the story on Thursday before Jesus is arrested late during the middle of that night. And you find in this the story of a jar. Say a jar. jar. Say, well, I don't remember any jar in the resurrection, the cross, but, but it was there. Matter of fact, let me read a little of this to you. Matthew 26, 
verse 6. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. When his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of what they were saying to them, he said, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but you do not have me always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. The disciples are like, you're not dead. What are you talking about for your burial? They weren't getting it. They didn't understand. But this woman, she obviously had a revelation and she understood. And he said, for in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial for her. Now, this little bottle of oil, you don't think much about it. But in that day, 300 denarii was a year's wages among the Jewish people. And history tells us that this fragrant oil was made out of lard, which came from the Himalayas, which was 3,500 miles from Jerusalem. And it cost, this one bottle of fragrant oil cost around 400 denarii. So a year and a third wages, this woman took and she poured it on the head of Christ. What's the significance of that? The price she paid, the price the disciples were not willing to pay. Matter of fact, they became indignant. They, they were, why are we doing this? The waste. You remember the story when Jesus had all the people and he felt sorry for them because they'd just been following him around and he would stop and preach and teach and they just kept following him until there were multitude, 5,000 plus men, not including women and children. And finally, after days of this, Jesus said to the disciples, let's feed these people because they're hungry. They're going to faint. And the disciples said, Lord, we have 200 denarii. That will not feed these 5,000 people. And he said, what do you have? Give me what you have. See, that woman gave what she had. I don't know how she came up with that bottle. I don't know where it came from. I don't know if she was a rich woman. Don't, don't know anything the history of her except it's still being told that she took this very expensive bottle and she dumped it all over. The other day, Suzanne and I were heading somewhere to grab a bite to eat and, and uh I was in shorts and just a t-shirt looking a little raggedy, but so I thought I'd just at least spray a little cologne on. <laughs> you know, I'd been all day just out there doing my stuff and getting ready for Sunday. So sprayed a little cologne on. We, we got in the truck and my wife goes, whoo, honey, is that new cologne you're wearing? <laughs> I said, yeah, baby, somebody gave me that for Christmas. I, I, I think I like it. She said, it's a little strong. <laughs> And all I did was a little spray, spray. No, I didn't do that. Just a little spray on both sides. And she's like, whoo. Could you imagine a whole bottle of fragrant oil being poured on Jesus? I believe that 24 hours later, when he was about to hang on the tree, there was still a fragrance on him. 
in preparation for his death. She poured that on him. That's all she had. But she gave him all she had. So we go from the journey of the jar to the upper room. So that same day, after all of this oil's been poured on the head of Jesus, they're getting ready for the Passover meal. And the disciples say, Lord, where do you want to eat the Passover? He gives instructions. The disciples follow the instructions and they go find this upper room and they go in and prepare this incredible meal for the Passover. Long table, the disciples are there. They're getting ready to eat. Jesus knows where he's headed. The disciples are clueless. The food has been prepared. The table is set. They're ready to go. And all of a sudden, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, and the Son of Man, he walks over and he finds a basin, a bowl, and he fills it with water. Could you imagine what the disciples are thinking at this point? They're looking at him. What's Jesus doing? Why, why, is, he getting a, why, why is he getting this bowl and why is he getting this water? And, and, and he gets a towel and he wraps it around them. And, and then all of a sudden he goes down to the end of the table and he bows down the son of God. And he takes the bowl and he puts it under the feet of the first disciple. He takes their sandal off. And he begins to wash. There's a hush in the room. What is he doing? That is the job for the least, youngest, most inexperienced servant in this man's house. And Jesus starts washing. Boy, you could imagine. I've only had my feet washed twice besides I wash my feet every night. But I've only had two occasions where someone insisted on washing my feet. The first one happened to be Franco Gennaro in Cuba. On our very first trip to Cuba back in 1990-something. And man, was it awkward. <laughs> Just me and this guy from the Amazon. In this hotel that we had to fight through prostitutes to get in every single time we went in. Man, they're just hammering us, banging on our doors, calling the phone. We're there ministering, preaching. Franco says, Pastor, I want to wash your feet. Man, it was awkward. <laughs> just me and this guy. Where's my wife? <laughs> Man, this is weird. I had to humble myself. I did not like it. But he washed and he prayed over me. And I started thinking, what if I were one of those disciples? Wow, Jesus. I've watched this guy raise people from the dead. I've watched this guy cause blind eyes to open and deaf ears to hear. I've watched him feed thousands of people with a couple of pieces of fish. He just kept blessing and breaking, blessing and breaking, blessing and breaking. And all of a sudden, 5,000 people are fed. 12 baskets are left over. Wow. And this guy, this man, this son of God, this Messiah, this rabbi, this teacher, is going to wash my feet. One by one, Jesus went down the table and washed the feet of every disciple. And he, got, he gets to Peter. Peter says, Lord, 
stop. What do you think you're doing? You are not about to wash my feet. Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have nothing with me. And he says, well, then wash my whole body. Jesus said, I don't need to wash your whole body. I need to wash your feet. And he washes the feet of Peter, who within a few hours is going to say, hell no, I don't know him. I don't know him. Some of y'all just got offended that Pastor said a dirty word. (laughs) Hell is a dirty word. You don't want to go there. (laughs) But he humbled himself. And then Jesus washed the feet of Judas. Wow. If I had a stool, I'd sit down right now. He washed the feet of the one he knew was going to betray him. I don't know that I could do that. I might take the dirty water and throw it on his face. Come on, somebody. I'm just saying. I know the rest of y'all are way more spiritual than I am, but I'd seriously be thinking, I'm just going to heave this on him, tell him he needed a dirty bath. But Jesus washed the feet of Judas. And then he gets up and he shares this incredible meal with the disciples. And in the end, he takes bread and he breaks it. And he passes it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. Man, we, we understand this by the revelation of Holy Spirit today. We, we, have the, we look back on it and we go, wow, what an amazing story. They were not getting it. They did not understand when they were taking that bread that it represented what was about to happen to their Lord and Savior, their Messiah. And then he took one of the four cups of wine, not grape juice, wine. And he handed it and he said, drink this for it's my blood. And without it, you won't know me. And so they ate and they drank. And they finished their meal. And then all of a sudden, the journey continues. And we see Jesus saying to the guys, I need to go pray. So he goes to the garden. The journey continues as he enters into the garden and he he says to the disciples, stay here and pray. But he says to Peter and James and John, you guys come with me to the innermost part of the garden. And he begins to walk into the garden and and, and he says, guys, y'all stay here and pray. I mean, he's giving them strict instructions, pray. And he went in deep into the garden and he himself began to pray. And he began to understand what was coming. He, 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 he knew that tonight is it. This is it. No more miracles. No more raising the dead. No more blind eyes. No more feeding hungry people. Tonight, I'm going to be betrayed and arrested and beaten. And he begins to pray. And it says that he was deeply, deeply grieved, sorrowful, even unto death. He had a revelation of what was about to happen in his life. 
And he begins to pray and he says, Father, is there any way possible that your will could be done and accomplished without me having to go to the cross? He doesn't wait for an answer. He simply declares, not my will, but your will be done. And he gets up and he goes back and he finds Peter and James and John. And they're, man, they're in deep intercession. No, they're not. They're fast asleep. <laughs> and he wakes them up and says, guys, I need you to pray. Tonight, the Son of Man, the Son of God, will be betrayed. Pray. He looks at Peter in the eyes and says, Peter, pray so that you will not give in to temptation. See, I am absolutely convinced Peter did not have to give in to the temptation he gave. Jesus warned him three times, Peter, you got to pray. You got to pray. Temptation's coming. You got to pray. And he leaves them and he goes back and he prays the same prayer again and declares, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And in that moment, he gets up, goes back to the disciples, wakes them up, says, get up. The time has come. And all of a sudden, Judas comes into the garden. He's got some soldiers with him. And he runs up and he grabs the Messiah, the Son of God. And he kisses him on the cheek. You ever been kissed on the cheek and then stabbed in the back? I'm very leery anymore at my age when some man kisses me on the cheek. I pretty much start looking for the swinging of the back doors or the stab in the back. Judas came. Can you imagine? It's bad enough that he's betraying Christ. But he grabs him and hugs him and kisses him. The kiss of death. And he backs away. And Jesus says to the soldiers, who are you looking for? And they cry out who they're looking for. He says, here I am. And in one of the passages, one of the gospels, it says that they backed up and fell down on the ground. The power of God. The presence of Christ. And he says, who are you looking for? They once again say, the Christ. He said, I've been in your synagogues and temples day by day, preaching and teaching why didn't you come for me then? But all of this was an answer to the prophetic words from the old covenant, what would happen to the Christ. And finally, they put cuffs on him, shackles on him, and they walk him out of the garden to the place of judgment. And the journey continues. Jesus, the most righteous man who had ever lived. No sin, no temptation had he ever given into. And all of a sudden, he's standing before the authorities. He's, he's betrayed, forsaken by his disciples. He's left totally alone. But his confidence and his assurance was in Almighty Father God. He knew what he was about to do. And he knew it would take God's strength to enable him to finish this journey. You see, had he not finished the journey, you and I wouldn't be here today like this. 
We might have some doves and goats trying to find a, an altar somewhere where we could get somebody to sacrifice for our sins. But Jesus had to finish what he began. And so he stood there through the night being questioned, giving no answers. Settled in his heart that he would fulfill the purpose of the Father. Man, as you read this story later this afternoon to your children, so powerful when Pilate brings him in. They bring him in before Pilate. Pilate begins to ask him questions. And he, and he stands there and Pilate says, don't you know that I have the authority to either set you free or take your life? And Jesus answers finally, you have no authority except what has been given to you. My father could send, if I ask, 12 legions I wish he had done it. <laughs> you know, just, just whoa, one time sweep through. Twelve legions of angels. Pilate looked. And finally, asking over and over, who do you want to set free, Jesus or this thief? And they cried out, crucify the Christ. Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate says, I find no fault in this man. I've listened to him. I've listened to him talk to you. I have heard what he has to say, and I find no fault. Nevertheless, bring me a bowl of water. He should have listened to his wife that night. See, when you read the story, you'll find out that even his wife said, I have been troubled in my dreams tonight over this man. Don't touch him. Pilate trying to erase the guilt, his own guilt. And he asked for a bowl of water and he washes his hands and he says, I'm free from the guilt of this man. You take him and you crucify him. And you know what they shouted out? We'll crucify him and his blood will be on us. His blood is still on them. They got what they asked for. So they took him, they beat him, they put a crown of thorns. I don't know if y'all saw when that song was being sung, that crown of thorns over that. I looked up, man, and just lost it. Just the crown of thorns would have had me. I would have had to be saying, if I was the one that had to go for all of y'all, I'd have to be saying, God, that's a lot of pain right there. That crown of thorns being pressed into his brow. Beat, whipped with a cat of nine tails, leather, with rock and glass. And they beat him 39 times and they stopped on the 39th time because the 40th was deadly. You know how they knew that? Because they had whipped somebody 40 times and they died. When they, Paul was whip, whipped and beaten on several occasions, it, it would say that they would stop on the 39th because the 40th would kill him. So they whipped Jesus until all the flesh was off of his back. And then they took that purple robe and rewrapped all of that pain and agony and flesh. And then they put a cross on his shoulder and they said, you carry your own cross. And so as we continue on in the journey, we end up at the cross. The cross. Without the cross, we would not have salvation today. Jesus had to die. His blood had to be shed 
for the forgiveness of all of our sins. Hear me. As you heard that monologue earlier and she talked about lying and cheating and fornication and sins. No matter what sin you're guilty of or were guilty of, his blood cleanses you from everyone. From murder, from anger, from hatred, from just being a wicked religious person, his blood cleanses us. And so they put him on that tree and nailed him to that cross. And he looked and he prayed, Father, forgive them. You see, we could get so judgmental and think, man, what wicked people were they? What wicked Christians, what wicked religious people, what wicked Roman soldiers. But Jesus hung on that tree for your sin, for mine. Not just for those in that day. There's not one sin-free person in this room unless we got a pregnant woman with a baby. That baby's still sin-free. But you and I, we've been guilty of all kinds of stuff. And Jesus hung on that cross until every drop of blood came out of his body, down that cross, down that hill of Golgotha. Till you and I had the ability to be cleansed by saying, Jesus, forgive me. Isn't that amazing? The price he paid and all you got to do is ask for forgiveness. I'll take that trade every day in my life. When I mess up, Lord, forgive me. I, I really don't want to be like that. And he forgives. Jesus hung on that tree and then he declared, it is finished. And his head drooped over and he died. Joseph came along and took the body, got Pilate's permission, put him in a tomb. So on this journey from the grave, we end, we end up, or the cross, we end up at the grave. And the grave, Friday afternoon, for three hours, it had been pitch black. The centurion standing there, observing, watching, cries out when Jesus took his last breath. And he said, indeed, he had to be the son of God. The place went black. Clouds filled the sky. They took his body off the cross. They cleaned it and wrapped it. And they put it in a borrowed tomb. I love that. I'm going to preach that message one day, the borrowed tomb. See, Jesus knew he wasn't going to need it very long. Come on, somebody. Borrowed tomb. And they laid him there. Friday came. Six o'clock came. The Sabbath began. It got quiet. And yesterday, all day, as I was walking around praying and just thinking about the life of Christ, I, I often think about Saturday. Saturday's where a lot of people get in trouble. Saturday's a time when it seems like darkness can fill your heart, your mind. Saturday, in between Friday and the death and Sunday and the resurrection, is a very quiet Saturday. Hopelessness. Could you imagine the disciples? What about the women? What about Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus and the other Mary? There are so many Marys. And the other women. 
They had gone all the way to the tomb on Friday afternoon and they watched where he was laid so on Sunday they could come and retrieve his body and rightfully prepare it for burial because they didn't get what he had said. So Saturday, I can't imagine. The disciples are hiding everywhere. You wonder where they are, what's going on. The ladies are together, nobody's talking. They try to pray, but prayer's useless. Their heart is broken. They can't imagine what they have just experienced because of this journey of Christ. Just a couple of days ago, he was still healing people and teaching, and his presence was so sweet. But now he's gone, he's dead. Everything they had dreamed of washed away. But thank God for Sunday. How many of you thank God for Sunday? I thank God for Sunday. I thank God every single week for Sunday. There's something about gathering with the saints of God on Sunday. We used to have Saturday night church. And it was church. But I'm telling you, there's something about Sunday morning when the sun rises. And you get to look forward to gathering with the people of God. See, those ladies got up and they rushed to the tomb. And on their way there, they're talking. All we are is a bunch of women. How are we going to remove that stone? And they get near the grave and they look up and they see the stone's already been rolled away. One of the gospels says the angel was sitting up on top of the stone. I bet he was having a good time. He knew, he knew what was coming. He knew what had already taken place. He knew that inside that tomb, that cave, it was empty. They had taken the time to fold the cloths, rolled out the wrinkles, rolled it over, folded it, put it on the feet and the head where Jesus had laid. He's sitting there and they come rushing up and the angel says, what are you looking for? And Mary says, we're, we're, we're looking for our Lord. Somebody's taken him. Tell us, please, where did you put him so we can go and prepare him for burial? Come on, somebody. You know those angels had to be begging the Lord to get to be the one that was there. Come on, somebody. You know, I would, if I was an angel, I'd be saying, Lord, let me do that. Let me do that. Because they were there. And they said, why, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is risen. He's risen. He's risen. What are you doing here in the grave? She goes in and looks, and sure enough, he's not there. And the angel says, go tell his disciples. And I love that one version where the, the angel says, go, go tell his disciples and Peter. Come on, somebody, find Peter! How many Peters we got in the house? Find Peter. Tell Peter, the Lord has risen. Man, they didn't believe. And so they took off running. One of the, one of the gospels says, John and Peter took off and John, he loves to brag the one whom Jesus loved. Come on, somebody. John says about himself, the one whom Jesus loved outran Peter. <laughs> they get to the grave and John stops. 
Peter, a little slow, if you watch The Chosen, they kind of talk about Peter's bow-leggedness and his inability to run. I thought that was very unique that they pulled that out of Scripture and made that a part of that incredible movie. But Peter, <laughs> he gets there and he doesn't stop. He's right inside the tomb. And there's no Lord. Why? Because everything he had told them had come to pass. Saturday is over. Sunday is here. And the Christ paid the price. Jesus revealed himself to Mary and she thought he was the gardener. And, and she says, sir, what have you done with him? I mean, they're talking. Mary doesn't get it until Jesus says, Mary. And in that moment, Mary knew her Lord. She knew him. You see, he was the one that had redeemed her, saved her, delivered her from demonic spirits. And she had followed him for three years. She had been forgiven much and she loved much. Jesus, Easter, it's all about this one simple truth. Easter is about Jesus dying to save all of us sinners so that we could have life and I don't know about you, but because of this battle I've walked through for the last 30 months, I often think about death. I often think about, could this be my last day, my last week, my last month, my last year? And if it is, I'm okay with it as long as I have finished the race that the Father set before me. Because I'm not only not afraid of death, I look forward to eternity. This life is so short. And we're so bound up in our sin and our wickedness and, and our religious behavior that sometimes we think we're going to live forever. No. You're only really promised 70 plus maybe 10. My dad lived at 99. Boy, the Lord had to grace him a long time because at 95, he finally surrendered completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, if you don't know Jesus more than a religious story, more than what your mama told you as a child or what you were raised in. If you don't know him in a personal way today, in this house, you can surrender and say, Jesus, come into my life. I got a lot of sin that needs to be forgiven. And I'm tired of trying to live my life, being my savior, doing my thing. I need Jesus. You see, salvation is free, but it's not cheap. It's free. But Jesus paid a horrible price. It cost him his life. He died for you. The question today is, will you live for him? He died for you and I so that we could have life and that life everlasting, forever and ever.
Would you bow your head right where you're seated this morning? I want to ask that no one leave, please, for just a moment. I could not close out this service without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Christ, your Christ, your Messiah, and your Lord. It doesn't matter what your sin is. It doesn't matter what your past is. What matters is Jesus has already paid the price for you to know the Father who created you and loves you. And he already paid the price so that whatever you've done that's kept you separated from him can be forgiven because his blood was shed for the cleansing of all unrighteousness and all sin. Today, if sin is prevalent in your life, guilt and shame, you don't have to walk out of here like that. You're watching online today. You can respond the same way as we respond in this room by simply asking Jesus to be Lord of your life. I don't want you to make an emotional decision today, something you're not willing to live by. But I'm asking you today, in the quietness of the closing of your eyes and the meditating on the word that you've heard today, if today were the last day of your life and you're going to stand before the God who created you, would you hear today, well done, thou good and faithful, enter in? Or would you hear, depart from me, I don't know you. You see, to know Christ, to know him in a personal way, begins that wonderful walk of the promise of an eternal life. When all is said and done, and this world is over, Jesus paid such a price so that you could know him so that you could hear, well done. Believers are praying in this congregation this morning because every one of us that have the assurance of Christ today in our life, at some point in time, made this decision. I was eight years old when I heard a preacher preach and I came into the revelation that I needed a savior in my life. Eight years old, I didn't know nothing from nothing, but I knew that I needed God in my life. And on a hot Sunday evening in a little Nazarene church, I responded to an altar call and said, Jesus, be Lord of my life. Today, he's knocking at your heart door and he's asking, will you let me in? That's all he wants is to come in. He'll do the cleaning. He'll do all the things that need to be done. All he needs is that willing heart that says, Lord, today, I need you. So as there are so many in this room praying for you today, if today you want to respond and say, Pastor, I'm going to lift my hand and ask you to pray for me and lead me today because I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. If that's you across this congregation, would you just simply lift up your hand 
and hold it there for a moment. Nobody's looking around. I'm asking you to keep your head bowed and, and let this be between these individuals. Yes, sir, God bless you. Yes, God bless you. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. Yes. God bless you, dear. Yes, God bless you. Once I see it, you can put it down. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, God bless you. Yes, God bless you, dear. Thank you. Today, Jesus is wanting, he's wanting to have a relationship with you like nothing you've ever known before. You can walk out of this place free of guilt, condemnation, and shame. There are others of you in this room today. You're at that place. Your knees are knocking. Your chest is beating because you know that once again, the Lord is knocking at your heart's door. What's keeping you from responding? What if today were the last day of your life? What if you walked out of here today and it was over? Are you okay with where you would be with Jesus? Yes, dear. God bless you. Who else? Before I lead you in a prayer. You don't want to be left out of this. This is your day. This is your moment. It's your time. I'm going to ask you all to stand to your feet, please. No moving around. Just stand. I'm going to lead in a prayer. The whole congregation is going to pray. So if you did not raise your hand today, I want to invite you. You pray this prayer in faith. And in a few moments, maybe you can find a pastor or a prayer team member. And you can say, I didn't raise my hand, but I prayed the prayer. But Father, for these dozen or more that have raised their hand, those that are watching online, today, I rejoice that salvation is coming to their house. Pray this prayer in faith out loud with me and the rest of the congregation. Father God, I come in the name of Jesus. I recognize today I need Jesus in my life. Jesus, I invite you. I open up my heart and I invite you to come in. I ask you to be my Lord, my Savior. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I bring them all to you, Father. And I ask you to cleanse me, redeem me, and save me. Thank you, Jesus, that you loved me so much. You were willing to go to the cross for my benefit. Today I confess with my mouth and believe with my heart that you, Jesus, are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I receive you today as my Lord and as my Savior. And I pray this, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's give the Lord a hand for these guys. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I want to invite the prayer team to come down quickly. And as they come, in just a moment, we're going to open up for just a couple of moments. If you need prayer today, if, matter of fact, if you responded today, I would encourage you just to step out, come down to one of these prayer team uh, uh, members and just tell them, I confess Jesus today. Let them rejoice with you, pray over you. And, uh, and as you're doing that, I just want to encourage you. We have a, we have a next step. We have uh, uh, people that we're going to teach you and help you and uh, walk you through what you have decided in the decisions you've made today for salvation. We have classes, we have disciplers, we have people that are ready 
to help you walk on this journey. We were never called to walk alone. We need each other. And so I rejoice with you today. If you have any other prayer needs, whatever's going on in your life, you need someone to stand in agreement with you. All these folks down here, they're not perfect. They're just forgiven. They've been redeemed. They have a, they have a spirit of faith and hope that whatever your need is today, as they pray in agreement with you, God's going to meet you and touch you. So I want to invite you. The worship team's going to come and lead us in worship. We're going to just take a couple moments. Don't leave unless you absolutely have to. We'll be finished in a couple of minutes. But this is a powerful time. If you need ministry, step out and come and let these folks pray with you. Amen. Father, be glorified. Touch these lives, we pray. We stand in faith for all of these that have a need today. We're standing in agreement with your word. So you're going to heal, help, restore, strengthen in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org.